The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. In just a few days, PBS stations across the nation will premiere what may be the most anticipated film ever about cancer. It's called Cancer, the Emperor of All Maladies. And I am thrilled to have on the show with us today two members of the film's creative team, executive producer and senior creative consultant Ken Burns and director-producer Barrick Goodman. The three-part, six-hour documentary series is based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning book, The Emperor of All Maladies, a biography of cancer by Dr. Siddhartha Mukherjee. The documentary is the comprehensive story of cancer from its first description in an ancient Egyptian scroll to the gleaming laboratories of modern research institutions. It combines a historical narrative with intimate stories about current-day patients, along with an investigation into the latest scientific breakthroughs. In addition to the film itself, its website, cancerfilms.org, contains uh, an additional two dozen short films as well as uh, user-generated content. The website also contains social and interactive media components created in conjunction with the documentary. We're going to start our conversation today with Ken Burns. Later, we'll be joined by Barrett Goodman. First, let me tell you a little bit about Ken, and I think you'll see why the cancer community was uh, beside its in excitement when his involvement in the project was announced. Ken has been making documentary films for more than 35 years. He has directed and produced some of the most acclaimed historical documentaries ever made, including The Civil War, Central Park Five, The Dust Bowl, Prohibition, Baseball, Jazz, The National Parks, uh, America's Best Idea, which is my personal favorite, and most recently, The Roosevelt's An Intimate History. His films have been honored with dozens of major awards, including 13 Emmy Awards, two Grammy Awards, and two Oscar nominations. In September 2008, the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences honored him with a Lifetime Achievement Award. Ken is considered one of the most influential documentary filmmakers of all time. Uh, David Zerwick of the Baltimore Sun said, quote, Burns is not only the greatest documentary, documentarian of the day, but also the most influential filmmaker, period. That includes feature filmmakers like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. I say that because Burns not only turned millions of persons onto history with his films, he showed us a new way of looking at our collective past and ourselves. Welcome to the show, Mr. Ken Burns. Thank you, Kim. I'm honored to be with you. Um, Ken, you said that your decision to become a filmmaker was directly related to your mother's battle with breast cancer. Um, we know that you know kids usually flip from one career choice um, to another, but you know, can you share with us what happened in your own life that made that choice so clear for you? Uh, yes, and I need to be fairly blunt and direct. I watched my mother die of cancer slowly uh, for 10 years. Our household, as you can imagine, was a grim and demoralized place. Mm -hmm. um, but shortly after she died, I remember my father, who had not cried at the funeral, uh, none of us did, we were sort of shell-shocked, weep at a movie. And at 12 years old, I made the decision, uh, just a few months after my mother had died, that I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to make those things that were able to permit people to express the deepest uh, emotions. And I realized that art, in this case movies, uh, could do that. And from then on, I was fixated with becoming a filmmaker. 
And were you immediately drawn to making documentary films? Or, or tell me about that process. No, not at all. In fact, I wanted to be Alfred Hitchcock or John Ford <laughs> or Howard Hawks, the great Hollywood directors of that time and the ones that my dad liked. And he's the one who was giving me my education in the movies, taking me out late at night, allowing me to stay up on a school night. It's only when I went to Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts, that my teachers reminded me that there is much more drama in what is and what was. Uh, the present moment in history than anything the human imagination dreams up. And I found my molecules rearranged there at Hampshire College, and I emerged a documentary filmmaker focusing on American history. And Ken, you know, in that process, you've explored in your work a wide range of historical events, historical figures uh, through your films. Is cancer a topic that you've always had in mind to tackle? Not at all. In some ways, I was running from it all my life. In fact, you know, uh, a psychologist suggested to me when I turned 40, uh, 20 plus years ago, that uh, what I did for a living was wake the dead. I made Abraham Lincoln and Jackie Robinson come alive. Who did I really want to wake up? You know, my mom. And so in some ways, as much as I was running from it, I was also running to it. And so um, this was not anywhere on my radar screen whatsoever. So tell us, how did you arrive at the idea of this film? Why this film? And, and why now? Well, um, I've worked as an independent filmmaker with WETA, the PBS affiliate in Washington, D.C., and it's run by a woman named Sharon Rockefeller, a dear friend of three decades, and she battled uh, cancer, and uh, during the course of her recovery, uh, she had read Siddhartha Mukherjee's amazing book, The Emperor of All Maladies, asked me to read it, and said, you've got to do this. And I said, but Sharon, you know better than anyone else how many things I have on my own plate. And then I read the book, and then I said, Sharon, I have to do this. And she said, uh-huh, you do. And I realized that what I needed to do was um, find somebody who could do the day-to-day, produce and direct it, That, but I could still, in some ways, leave a fingerprint here, an idea there, a good thought, uh, and and face this uh, head-on, as I think all of us uh, have to do, as scary as, as it seems. You know, it's been euphemistic, this disease cancer for most of uh, the history of the human race. It's only recently that we've been able to actually talk about it among ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's certainly very true. Um, Ken, in addition to the six-hour documentary series that we're all looking forward to seeing it's in, in its entirety, you also produced two dozen short films, um, which can be viewed online. Can you tell us about the shorts and that piece of the project? Yeah, I didn't produce them. Uh, some dear, dear friends of ours, Red Glass Pictures, Sarah Klein and Tom Mason, who I've worked with before, uh, basically were tasked by us to go out and produce a couple of dozen vignettes that are not so much things that our film couldn't gather, but ability to develop short and pungent stories. Um, every, you know, every river has tributaries, and these little films are ways to grab people. Maybe it's this aspect of cancer. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's a celebrity speaking to you. Maybe it's an ordinary person, a mom with a a child who's sick. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's some aspect. And remind us all that the statistics are pretty daunting, that one uh, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. And that means we all got to pay attention. If it is the emperor of all maladies, then we are all its subjects. And we're sort of obligated, particularly us Americans, who value our freedom so importantly, to rise up and rebel against this tyrant. So it it sounds to me like, in addition to the the amazing book and the amazing content, you felt both a personal and perhaps a a sense of social and moral responsibility to get the story out. Yeah, I think it's really important. And what happens is, in so much of our lives, particularly when it has to do with science, is that we, the general public, kind of abdicate and cede to those others, whoever they might be, the knowledge and the responsibility. But it's all our responsibility. It's my mother who died. And so... I think what this film does is it arms ordinary folks with the amazing detective story that the history of cancer is, with all that's going on, and a sense of all the false starts that have been made, all of the, you know, pretty soon we're going to cure cancer and then it didn't happen, um, all of the disappointing turns, all the cul-de-sacs, but also this moment right now where we feel that in a way this 
you know, th- three-part, six-hour film is, is basically delivering at the end a message of hope. And we all need to subscribe to the agenda that we can hopefully see within our lifetimes. Uh, most cancer is knocked into a kind of chronic but certainly treatable uh, disease. Uh, Ken, we're coming up on the launch of the uh, of the documentary. Can you take a moment to tell our listeners what they can expect um, from the documentary? And, and, and for you, what do you hope the impact of the documentary will be? Well, it's a wonderful combination of a mixed bag of stuff. If you know my work, it's a history story using archives and talking heads and music to advance uh, a story that, as you suggested in your introduction, begins in ancient Egyptian times and comes right up uh, to the present moment. But it's also science, and so we've got some of the finest uh, minds on the planet. Uh, I don't think I've made a film that has more brain power exhibited on it than the, than the folks that Barrack Goodman and his crew were able to assemble. So it's got complicated science, but explained in very layman terms by wonderful animations and things like that. But it also has case studies. These are sort of the anchors of the film. We were given unusual, exquisitely intimate access to people around the country dealing with the kinds of moments that all of us will eventually have to deal with or may have already dealt with, talking to doctors, getting the bad news, hearing the good news, losing somebody we love, and these sort of case studies um, make this a kind of hybrid. And, and, you know, what I want very simply is for as many people as possible to watch it, and if one kid, one little girl says, you know what, I want to be a research scientist, I want to be a physician treating this, and that happens, then we'll have done our job, and hopefully many more multiples of that. You know, we're in this in this uh, era now where we have all of these multimedia components available to us. So, obviously, we have this this core six hour documentary. But uh, I know that the website for the project also features stories that have been submitted uh, by the general public. I think you call it the story wall. Why was it important in the project to include this story wall as well as this you know highly produced documentary? For as long as there have been human beings, well back before those Egyptians, we've been telling stories to each other. And the important part of storytelling is listening, but also then responding. And we feel it's hugely important in this day of so many different platforms to honor them all and to honor our audience by saying, you've got a story to tell. You can add to this. You can take what we've done and now run with it. Now that the film is done, it's not mine. It's not Barrick's. It's not Sid Arda Mukherjee's. It's not Sharon Rockefeller's. It's yours. And, um, it becomes incumbent for everyone to contribute. And, and like a snowball rolling down a hill in a good way, we hope it gathers momentum and mass, and we can do something which we all want to do these days, which is act in unison. Um, and we do that by connecting to everybody else. There's no communication in this world except among equals. And what we wanted to do is say, here's our story, what's yours? Uh, Ken, we're going to, uh, in just a moment, welcome Barrett Goodman to the uh, to the show. But was it was it hard for you to step back and serve as executive producer or senior creative consultant rather than serve as as uh, as a director? As you said, you've got sort of ten years of projects lined up. You felt that this was really an important one um, to get out there. But was it difficult for you to step back in that way? It was hugely difficult. I've spent all of my professional life, you know, running everything soup to nuts, and here it was, just sort of, you know handing it over. Uh, the good news is is that I handed it over to an extraordinary filmmaker, Barrett Goodman, whose work I've admired and who did an extraordinary job wrestling all of those three main components of the case studies, the science, uh, the riveting history into uh, a narrative. And it was... Um, a wonderful to be able to kibitz. It was wonderful to be able to contribute, and it was. I. I. I it, it helped remove the sting of not having to do what I have done in all the other films uh, I've made. Uh, be the actual creator, and and I think I'm as proud of this film as any film I've worked on. Well, uh, it has been an honor uh, to have uh, Ken Burns with us on the show uh, today. We've been talking about uh, the much-anticipated documentary, Cancer, the Emperor of All Maladies, which is uh, just coming upon us. Uh, We'll launch at the end of of March, and uh, we in the cancer community were certainly thrilled when Ken Burns stepped up to take uh, this project on. So thank you for joining us uh, on the show, Ken. We've got... uh, 
tens of thousands of folks around the country that we serve that are looking forward uh, to the launch of the documentary, those who are with us every day at the Cancer Support Community, sharing their own stories and um, collectively are really a, a, a part of this journey. So thank you for being with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure and honor. Thanks so much, Kim. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Amgen Oncology and Lilly Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo, and we're now joined by Barrett Goodman, the director and producer of the new PBS documentary film series, Cancer, The Emperor of All Maladies. The series will run for three nights on PBS stations nationwide starting on Monday, March 30th. The film tells the story of cancer from ancient times to today. Barrett Goodman is the co-founder of ARC Media and a principal producer, director, and writer with the company. His films have been nominated for an Academy Award, have won multiple Emmys and Writers Guild Awards, Peabody Awards, and RFK Journalism Prize, and twice been official selections at the Sundance Film Festival. They regularly appear on PBS's primetime series Frontline and American Experience. His four-hour biography of President Bill Clinton was nominated for a National Primetime Emmy and a Writers Guild Award. Another documentary, Me Lai, aired on PBS and won a National Primetime Emmy and a Peabody Award. It was rated one of the top best nonfiction television shows of the year by the New York Times. Welcome to the show, Barrett Goodman. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Barrett, when I talk to people uh, with cancer, they often talk about being overwhelmed and confused by the quantity and the complexity of information that they have to gather, absorb, understand, and then be able to communicate about with their medical team and with their uh, families. In other words, um, they have to be able to talk to both scientists and, and lay people. So what were your first thoughts when you were approached to work on this uh, film? Did it seem like an insurmountable task to tell the story of cancer in a film? It was certainly daunting. I think uh, in the first place, we were helped by the fact that we had this incredible blueprint in, in Sid Mukherjee's book, um, which is really, if your audience hasn't read it, a, a worth a read. It's, it's yes. a magisterial yeah. book. It's a really incredible story. So we had that advantage. But beyond that, it certainly was a little scary. Uh, we were not only uh, sort of embarking on the first comprehensive um, look at this disease, but we were trying something that had never really been done in film, which was to weave together three very different kinds of films into one. I think Ken alluded to this in your earlier segment, mm-hmm, that, that mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, it's a history film, it's a, film, it's a verite film following current-day case studies, and it's very heavily a science film. So trying to do all those three things in addition was, you know, it was, it was challenging, but we had the very best team possible to put together, so I was pretty confident going forward. So, again, let's talk about the book, and I agree, it's a, just it's a tremendous uh, ter- tremendous book and really, uh, I think, a must-read. Um, Dr. Mukherjee, the author of the book on which the documentary is based, describes uh, the book, and it's an interesting approach. He really describes the book as a biography um, of cancer. H- how did you think about that? Is that how you, uh, you know, approach the film? Just talk maybe a little bit about the, the sort of the process of the documentary and the three parts maybe in a little more detail. 
Sure. I mean, I think what SID means by that is that a disease like a person can have a narrative. It can have a story. And that's the way he approached the book, and certainly that's the way we approach the film. Uh, in the case of cancer, there really are multiple narratives. There's the, you know, the, the human story of those you know, brave people uh, and brilliant people who over decades and hundreds of years have attempted to understand what cancer is, to overcome it, to get to the bottom of it. But it's also, in a way, a memoir, so to speak, of the disease itself. How is this disease born? How does it come of age? How does it survive against adversity? How does it die? Uh, we hope it dies before it can kill its host. So, you know, it is a story. And, and, and in the best sense, it's got pitfalls. It's got dramatic, you know, vertiginous ups and downs. It's, it's got moments of great triumph and moments of great tragedy. And we, we incorporated all those sort of narrative techniques into telling the story. Uh, it was very important to us, though, that it not just be a history, because certainly the audience, our audience, would, would, would expect to see what's going on right now. Not only what's going on scientifically, which is extremely mm-hmm. exciting, but what's going on with patients. How do patients navigate their journeys? Of course, there, there are as many journeys as there are patients. We couldn't yes. tell them all, but we could pick a selection of people who whose stories kind of resonate with, I think, with our audience and the people whose loved ones or who themselves are, have gone or are going through this same journey. So it was incumbent upon us to tell that story. And then, of course, as I said, the, the exciting story of where we are with research and how soon will we get to a cure, which is, of course, the bottom line question for practically everybody. Yeah, yeah, certainly a, a, a complicated story uh, uh, to tell, but certainly we uh, we know Dr. Murkaji does it so well in the book. And again, we've got such great um, anticipation in our community um, about the film. I want to just take a minute to try to bring the film to life for our listeners. I'm going to play a short clip from the film that talks uh, about the Jimmy Fund, which is an interesting uh, history. Let's take a moment, take a listen to that. On the evening of May 22nd, 1948, Ralph Edwards, the popular host of the radio show Truth or Consequences, interrupted his usual broadcast from California and linked to a room at Boston Children's Hospital where a little boy lay ill. Well, we're not going to give you his last name because he's just like thousands of other young fellows and girls in private homes and hospitals all over the country. Jimmy is suffering from cancer, but he doesn't know he has it. Jimmy was actually a 12-year-old boy named Anar Gustafson. Farber had changed his name to protect his identity and broaden his appeal so that he could become the mascot for his new cancer-fighting organization, the Jimmy Fund. Hello, Jimmy. Hi. Uh, Who do you think is going to win the pennant this year? The Boston Braves, I hope. (laughs) Who's the catcher? Phil Macy. That's right. Have you ever met Phil Macy? No. Hi, Jimmy. My name is Phil Macy. Who's that, Jimmy? This was a way of really turning around the conversation. Cancer was not some abstraction that we couldn't talk about, we were too worried to talk about. Cancer was Jimmy. Um, Beric, the film interweaves the history of, of cancer with intimate personal stories. Um, and uh, again, here at the Cancer Support Community, certainly we, we hear these stories. And as you said, every story is different. Every person's experience is different. And it's, it is great that the science is starting to take a personalized approach uh, to each individual, to each patient. Um, but what are some of the historic events that are covered and some of the important historical figures that uh, viewers will meet in the documentary? Well, the series you know, teams with all sorts of fascinating stories and characters and interesting people. But I, I'd say the central character, at least in the first episode, which is the most historical episode, is Sidney Farber, who was this very interesting, um, you know, early on in his career in the 1940s, he was thought of as some, something of a mad scientist who was willing to experiment on children. And uh, several decades later, by the 1970s, he was revered as, you know, a great man, the, the found, really the founder of chemotherapy and, and the man, along with his good friend Mary Lasker, most responsible for the war on cancer, for convincing the federal government to fund um, you know, a real effort to overcome this disease. So he was both a great scientist and a great public figure. And in many ways, his story is the spine off which we hang a lot of other stories um, and follow you know, 
across that period of time from the 40s to the late 70s, the real kind of, you know, genesis of, of, of this war on cancer and this idea that cancer is not this hidden, shameful disease, but a series of diseases that needed to be confronted, mastered, and overcome. That's, that's the essential uh, story we tell in the first episode. We go on from there in the second and third episode, uh, taking the story up to the present. To the present, and and I know that through part of that process, Beric, you were you, you had crews that were really embedded um, in these hospitals um, where you filmed. Was it difficult to find people who were willing to? Uh, I, I can't think of a better word. Expose themselves, bear themselves at such a difficult time in their lives. Yes. Well, we we did. We embedded two different crews: one at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, and one at the Charleston Area Medical Center in West Virginia. And at both hospitals. We had extraordinary uh, cooperation and advocacy from on the part of the hospital staff, the doctors, the nurses, who helped to kind of broker uh, uh, our relationships with patients and introduce us to people. And we also had some extraordinarily skilled field producers who were good at conveying the fact that we weren't interested in, in sort of a sensationalistic, uh, you know, look at these diseases, but we really wanted that personal bond with our subjects. But, you know, at the same time, we were very careful not to intrude at some of the worst times and some of the most, you know, vulnerable times in, in these mm-hmm. people's lives. We, we, and I think we earned trust as a result. I think people came to see that what, what we were doing was, you know, not sensationalistic or prurient in any way. And, and, and therefore, they were willing, you know, all the more willing to open up to us. And I think many of them found some comfort in that. They found some... Some some kind of shared intimacy, um, and it and it out actually sort of, in some cases, made them feel less alone, perhaps, in what mm-hmm. they were going through. And I think that's a very individual decision. But we're forever grateful to those people who. Yeah, and, and yeah, and it's just such an opportunity. We know that in the patients that we're serving every day, uh, patients want to be heard. They want their voices. Right. Uh, to be heard, and it seems like such a great opportunity. Um, Beric, I only have a minute or so until our break here, but just tell me, what was the impact on you and, and, and your uh, your film crew, your production team, getting that intimate into the trenches with folks like that? Well, we were all enormously humbled by the experience. You know, it was emotionally grueling, but of course nothing compared to what these people themselves were going through. So we just felt, you know, privileged to be able to to, to see this up close, to share this with our audience, um, you know, and, and as I said before, we're just profoundly grateful to these folks. I, I don't know that I would have made the same decision in their in their in their uh, situation, but they did, and um, we're we're enormously grateful to them. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's an intense time, certainly to be uh, to, to be with someone going through that. This is frankly speaking about cancer. Um, we are talking today about the uh, documentary film Cancer. Uh, the Emperor of All Maladies, which is scheduled to launch on PBS uh, on March 30th. Um, uh, we have lots more to talk about uh, with director Barrett Goodman, so don't go away. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Onyx Pharmaceuticals, an Amgen subsidiary in Bristol-Myers-Squibb. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today we're talking about the new PBS documentary film series, Cancer, the Emperor of All Maladies. With us is the film's director, Barrick Goodman. Barrick is a highly accomplished, award-winning documentarian whose films regularly appear on PBS's primetime series, Frontline an American experience. Um, the Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Emperor of All Maladies, was obviously a widely um, uh, successful uh, book. Um, Barrett, did you feel extra pressure, let's say, because the uh, film is based on such a, a widely read and admired book and because, you know, there are so many experts in the field, so much technical information to kind of get our heads around? Absolutely. Uh, you know, sheer intimidation from the very beginning. <laughs> uh, I mean, the book is, it, not only is it sort of, you know, it, one of these books you just scratch your head and say, how could anyone have written that? Not, not to mention a full-time research oncologist. But, um, yes, uh, you know, we immediately were plunged into, you know, the, the most complicated, difficult science and, and needed to go off and talk to Nobel Prize winners all over the place. But thank goodness, um, it seems like what emerged is, is is the rule of thumb that the smarter you are, the the better able you are to talk simply and clearly to lay people. And so, you know, not only do we have the advantage of Sid himself, who is a great translator of this science, but the the, the various scientists who appear in the film, the scores of them actually, were amazingly good at um, dumbing down what they do and translating it to a lay audience. And we weren't afraid to ask simple questions on behalf of our audience, um, you know, that's all we could manage because we didn't really have the, the, the foundation to ask much more than simple questions. So it worked. And, um, you know, I, 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 I quickly got over the, the sense of intimidation because Sid was such a, a gracious and generous partner in this project. He, he made it clear right away that he was on board and on the team rather than sitting back and judging. Um, so that was a great, uh, you know, welcome addition as well. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, if you could, um, Barrick, just for a minute, pull back the sort of creative curtain for us. I mean, we're all used to sort of going to the movie theater. You know, this is based on, you know, a, a dramatic film. It's based on a novel. Um, you know, we've read the book and then we say, oh, you know, it's true to the book. It's not true to the book. But when you say that a documentary is based on the book, does that mean it's an adaptation of the book or that, that the book serves as a as a foundation for the film? Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between the two and help us understand that process? Sure. I mean, this will vary case to case. In our case, um, I would say that the book was very much a, uh, this is very much an adaptation of the, of the book, at least the history section is. You know, Sid tells so many stories. It's like a forest of stories. And we had to find the one tree in the forest. We had to find the one through line because it's, a film can only do such a sort of small fraction of what a book can do. Um, but he, But within all that those teeming stories in his book, there is a clear narrative through line, and that served as our through line for most of the history. We emphasized the current case studies more than Sid did in this book. We felt that film does that better even than book can do. It's more important to a film. It's more important the way we envision this series. So we expanded, although Sid does have characters in his book, are going through their cancer journeys, we decided to expand that part. And then, just out of necessity, Sid's book is four or five years old at this point. We had to update the science, and mm-hmm. enormous amounts have happened 
since the SIDS book came out, the entire field of immunotherapy, for example, was invented. Not strictly invented, but developed since SIDS book was published. So we had to cover that. So there's a great deal of new information that wasn't included in this book. So, so Barak, tell our listeners what they can uh, expect. The film is divided into three sections, past, present, and future. Can you just give us a minute on each? Sure. It's not strictly divided among those three. It's, mm-hmm. it, those three are woven through. So it's more like a braid than it is now we're doing the past, now we're doing the present, now we're doing the future. Although, in a general sense, the film moves chronologically from a brief section on kind of the ancient story of cancer, how, how people came to understand what the disease was, how they came to define it, how that over time, you know, improved in specificity until they understood about the cell and so forth. Uh, the first episode mostly focuses, as I said, on Sidney Farber and this journey from the 1940s to the mid-1970s where Farber uh, discovers chemotherapy, that chemicals can in fact attack cancer, and then through public advocacy, turns the country uh, to the task of fighting this disease, which had been so cloaked in mystery and so kind of hidden away in the closet. The second episode goes more or less from the 1970s to the 1990s when when the real understanding of cancer was born, the real breakthrough in understanding that it's a genetic disease, a disease of, of, uh, you know, aberrant genes, essentially, mm-hmm. was discovered. And that's a thrilling scientific story that we can tell. Um, and then the first targeted therapies, Herceptin and Gleevec, the first therapies that were specifically targeted against what's wrong with a cancer cell were invented as a result of these breakthroughs in understanding. And then the third episode goes from essentially 2000 to the present, where all of the follow-on from those revolutions has begun. Essentially, as, as Bert Vogelstein says in the film, we completed one revolution, the revolution in understanding, and we launched a second revolution, which is the revolution in treatment and therapy, which we're in the middle of now, we're, or towards the beginning of now. Um, and all through these three parts, then, we, we have patient stories, stories of people who uh, are going through cancer, some of whom live, some of whom don't live, um, many of whom are in the midst of their struggles as we watch them, and all the ups and downs that are attendant to that. And um, those stories are resonate very neatly with the history that we're telling. And many of the issues, for example, do I put my child in a clinical trial? What are clinical trials? Then we'll see a clinical trial in the case study of one of our contemporary patients. So there's a lot of kind of resonance between the two. Yeah. And that's basically what you'll see. Yeah. It's, uh, again, our our, uh, our listeners and the folks that are centers around the country are really looking forward to that. Um, I just want to take a moment to play a, a brief audio clip from the film. And, and, and Barak, you're talking about families and, and parents. And, and, and you know, that, that's the clip I really want to play. We're going to hear uh, in this clip from parents uh, of a child battling cancer. Let's just take a moment to listen to that. I truthfully don't remember the drive itself. It's kind of surreal. You just don't believe that it's happening to your child. You know, of course you think the worst. I mean, anytime you hear spontaneous bleeding and, you know, you can't take her to the normal hospital that you would go, you need to take her to a special place. You don't know what to expect. Something's wrong with my daughter. I was scared. She was not the normal, happy, running around, playing girl. Every thought went through your mind like, uh, why? Why is this happening? Do you see night night, Libby? Do you see night night? It's your new reality. You know, your your child. Your child has cancer. So, Barrick, obviously, these stories of children battling cancer, um, it, it, you know, incredibly difficult, incredibly personal, really challenge, challenging decisions that, that, um, uh, that parents are making. Um, I imagine 
that story, some of these children's stories, may have been particularly difficult for you and your team to hear? No question. I mean, the first episode in particular centers on children because it's, it was a surprise to me. The the history of cancer very much revolves around childhood leukemia. That was the proving ground for many of the theories on cancer, for many of the experimental treatments in cancer, both because it, there was an urgency, a sense of urgency in sort of curing children, but also because leukemia is a kind of cancer that's very accessible to researchers. So mm-hmm. we we therefore had to cover the story of, of, of childhood leukemia and childhood cancer. And and we directed our cameras in, in Johns Hopkins to the pediatric unit and to the extraordinary doctors and nurses who work every day with these children. One child in particular who appears in the first episode, Luca Asante, was um, a child who didn't live. And it was, you know, uh, I think a surprise to his own caregivers, certainly a surprise to us. Um, it just it happens, obviously, in cancer that things go in an unexpected direction. And that one was particularly difficult for, for everybody involved, for, particularly for the field producers who had gotten to know his family so well. But, you know, anytime you're, you're, you're kind of showing a childhood cancer, whether it's from the past or the present, it's tough watching, but it, it's also, you know, compelling, compelling, dramatic um, storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Barrick, we only have a, a, a minute till our uh, till our break here, but uh, we know that you chose to feature both the Johns Hopkins Sydney Kimmel Comprehensive Cancer Center, a, a mouthful, a leading you know research hospital in the United States, and also the Charleston Area Medical Center, a regional health system in West Virginia. Why these two different settings? Well, we we specifically wanted a research hospital where I think upwards of sixty or seventy percent of the patients are on clinical trials because we wanted to know what was the cutting edge treatment. What is the where do you go if all other options are um, you know not not available to you? Mm-hmm. What do you do? And and we wanted to see that, but we also wanted to see a very fine hospital, not a bad hospital, a terrific hospital in West Virginia, but one that is much more kind of standard of care for most people. There are only eight oncologists on staff. They deal with all the cancers. They're not specialists in any one cancer. We wanted to see what that was like, and we were lucky enough to find central characters at both places. Dr. Pat Brown, a pediatric oncologist at Hopkins, and Dr. Suzanne Cole, a general oncologist at, at CAMC, who were unbelievably you know, rich characters, uh, committed people who you know, just give everything to their patients, and we were able to, through them, to find these very compelling patient stories. And so we were lucky to have these two places in particular uh, as our our centers. Yeah, I think really representative of of, of the the reality today in those two different settings. Uh, We're talking today to Barrett Goodman, the director of the documentary film Cancer, the Emperor of All Maladies. We've got more to cover in the conversation. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and today's episode is brought to you in part by Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company. I'm Kim Chibildeau. We're having a great conversation with documentarian Vera Goodman, an award-winning director uh, of the new PBS film Cancer, the Emperor of All Maladies. In addition to the three-part documentary, which will air on TV starting Monday, March 30th, uh, over 20 professionally produced short films can be uh, viewed on the film's website, cancerfilms.org. The film is based on the Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Emperor of All Maladies, a biography of cancer by Dr. Siddhartha (laughs) Mukherjee and uh, and, uh, preeminent documentarian Ken Burns. He is the executive producer of both the documentary film and the online series. The website also contains social and interactive media components created in conjunction uh, with the documentary, as well as the selection of content submitted by the public at large. I mean, it's pretty much a given uh, at this time that everyone has been directly or indirectly uh, impacted by cancer. And this film certainly reinforces uh, that fact. Um, Beric, we just have a few minutes till the end of our show, but can you tell us about producer Laura Ziskin and WETA president and CEO Sharon Percy Rockefeller and the roles they played in the making of this film? Two remarkable women, both of whom uh, were suffering with cancer during uh, at the time of the publication of Sid's book. Uh, Laura, had uh, Laura, who's uh, the founder of Stand Up to Cancer, along with seven other women, and it was a very eminent, was a very eminent Hollywood producer before she passed recently, um, had optioned the Sid's book. Sharon very much wanted to produce the documentary, and the two of them kind of got together and figured out a way that PBS and Ken Burns would, would bring this project uh, to, to viewers all over the country. And, and you know, for them, I think it's a very personal and very, um, you know, intimate uh, project. I think both of them would have said it's the most important project of their careers. Can you also just take a moment, Barak, to tell us about Edward Herman, the film's narrator? Yes, who died, uh, who, yeah, who, who died of brain cancer? Yeah, yeah, a remarkable, remarkable person. You may, your your listeners will probably recognize his voice, know him as the guy who's always playing FDR with a monocle. A wonderful actor. He announced to us the first day he collapsed uh, in our studio. Um, the first day he was reading for us, I didn't know anything about his illness. And during a break, he explained that he had a stage four brain cancer. And um, we were, of course, horrified and floored. And it sat down with him and, and kind of explored our options. And we decided together that we were going to try this. You know, he, he wasn't sure how long he would be well, whether he could get through it. But... Um, you know, we wanted very much, we wanted him, first of all, and we wanted, and he wanted this to be the kind of capstone of his career. We thought it was appropriate that this be the capstone of his career, and it, the, the process of, of recording his narration took maybe twice as long as it ordinarily would have. Mm-hmm. So he was tired many days, sick many days, but he was, he gave it absolutely everything he had, and in the end, did an absolutely <laughs> superb job, and we were thrilled with his performance and thrilled to get to know him and his wife, Star, and Mm. of course heartbroken when he died about three and a half, four weeks after our last uh, session. Wow. Wow. What an intimate connection to the topic. Exactly. uh, Yeah. That's for sure. Um, Eric, anything unexpected uh, as you were working on this project? Any surprises for you along the way? Perhaps the greatest surprise to me, I was, you know, not a scientist in any way, shape, or form entering this project and, and I didn't understand how much of science is about failure, about uh, setbacks, about intuition and, and feeling. You know, I, I think we tend to think of it as a sort of march of progress, as logical, you know, upward trajectory. But it's not. It's, it's full of ebbs and flows. And I think our, our series captures that, captures the process of science as well as the story of cancer. And really getting to know these world-famous researchers and what, and just mm. how human the whole enterprise is um, was a real eye-opener for me and, and a thrilling experience. Um, you know, I, I want to go out and do many more science documentaries because I, <laughs> I, I was so inspired by these people and who they are and what what they're all about, what they why they do what they do. It's, it really is an inspiring kind of story to tell. So, so you know, as as we get towards the end of the show here, which I'm sad about because this is such a great conversation, uh, you know, as you sort of step away, as we move towards the launch of this project, what do you hope will be the impact of this documentary? One word, and I think Ken said it before, it's, it's hope. Um, you know, we are in a 
incredibly exciting moment in the history of cancer. I, everyone we spoke to agreed on that. Even even the skeptics who would say maybe we're uh, you know seventy or hundred years away um, agreed with the notion that that this is a new day. We understand this disease in a way we never have before, and that is going to provide a foundation for the second great revolution, which is the revolution in treatment and therapy. And that's that's happening right now. I mean, things like immunotherapy, targeted therapy, things like individualized genetic profiling of patients, all of that's not just a pipe dream. It's, it's happening. And yeah. real drugs are coming to market and real patients are being cured. And we've met them and we've talked to them. We show them in our film. And, and you can't help but feel the sense that it's going to be a different world for our children and our grandchildren. And this dread yeah. disease, this disease we can barely utter its name, will be a totally different thing for them, something that they can, you know, face with much more kind of hope and, and kind of optimism than we feel right now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, well said and a good uh, close to the conversation. Barak, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming onto the show uh, today. Um, again, we've got uh, many listeners across the country, cancer patients, folks who are in active treatment, survivors, families, uh, and I know we're all waiting with uh, great anticipation for the launch of cancer, the emperor of all maladies. That'll run for three consecutive nights starting on Monday, March 30th, so make sure to check your uh, local listings uh, for exact times. You're not going to want to miss this um, extraordinary film series. In the meantime, visit the film's website, cancerfilms.org, where you can see an extended trailer, some of the short films that we've talked about some of the wonderful stories that are there. It's been my pleasure uh, to have uh, Ken Burns and Barrett Goodman on the show today. Uh, I'm Kim Tebaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. And again, I just want to remind folks that uh, we've got uh, a host of in-person, online, and telephone support services for people with cancer and their loved ones, people with all cancers. Visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org, or you can call us at 888-793-9355. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well. Live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.